Hello, everyone. Welcome to Queerly Recommended, the podcast where we recommend queer films, books, TV shows, and more. I'm Chris Bright, a contemporary romance writer for Bold Strokes Books, and this week I'm recommending a movie from 2015. And I'm Tara Scott. I review sapphic fiction at the Lesbian Review in Smart Bitches Trashy Books. And this week I am recommending a graphic novel. Before we get started, we just want to take a minute and say thank you, thank you to everyone who supports the show with our coffee, signing up for the newsletter. Um, we do have links to both in the show notes. And actually, because Twitter is mm, difficult or <laughs> however you want to put it. Anyway, unfortunately, the auto scheduler that I was using for Twitter for sharing my daily tweets with book recommendations was not working anymore because Twitter was a real dick with their. APIs. So I'm not sharing those there anymore. But if you have appreciated being able to see all of my old reviews, we're adding a new feature to the newsletter, which is going to include topic based lists. So, you know, eight friends to lovers books or five celebrity romances or something like that. So, I mean, maybe that's another reason for you to sign up for the newsletter. Twitter is a butt. Right. So they stopped all and that. They, their APIs are broken. It is kind of nice to not feel uh, so tied to Twitter now, though, to where like I don't feel like I right. have to go on anymore. But whatever. I still can't quit it. No, I haven't quit it yet either. But I feel like I go on there and look when I want to, not because I'm going, oh, I have to go look and see if anybody <laughs> responded to anything. Yeah, no, I I can't quit it. I'm trying and I've been trying threads. I've been posting things on threads, but I had zero following on Instagram because I never post yeah, yeah, yeah. pictures and stuff. So I just started off like from scratch with threads. And it's yeah. like, I'm so sad about that. Threads isn't the same. Blue sky isn't the, the same. same just yet. I think we need to see like what ends up actually stepping up to be the next, but it's not there yet. So anyway, no, not yet. So Chris, yes. What? Has been new with you because we have not talked in about a month. So I feel it's like we need to catch up on our time. Summers. I know. I know. Too, long. Too long. What's so, going on with you? So right now, um, I just got a message about Molly's stroller wheels have shipped. Mm -hmm. And that's a problem because UPS here in the United States, they are possibly going on strike next week. So... Now if anybody is listening who is not familiar, do you want to tell them who Molly is? Oh, my goodness. Everybody knows Molly. Molly is my, my crippled Westie dog. And we have a stroller that we take her out in at night. So when it, cause it's so hot during the day, we can't do it during the day anymore. But at night we take her out in the stroller and we go around the neighborhood and everybody knows us and we have like our flashlights our safety lights on and and so it broke one of her wheels broke and we couldn't fix it so i ordered i ordered replacement wheels and uh i'm like where are they where are they where are they it's been like weeks mm. and so i i uh, finally reached out and they said oh we're sorry they didn't come in so we're still waiting on them to come in so they got in on friday and i just got notification that they shipped Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping, but it's from California and I'm like, I hope they make it, you know, before the strike starts or else, you know, yeah. what I have been doing is I have been getting in my car at like 10 o'clock at night, rolling down all the windows, opening up the sunroof and driving around my neighborhood for like 10 miles per hour with Molly, 
like stacked up on <laughs> out the window, kind of enjoying it. So it's nice, except when there's other traffic on the road. You know, yeah. then people are like, why are you driving so slow? So I'd yeah. much rather have the stroller. So that, uh, that's been going on. That's, mm-hmm. that's the latest, the newest. Yeah. But also, you mm. did go on a trip. I did go on a trip. I went to the Golden Crown Literary Society conference that was in Denver. Yay! Uh, yay. And that was, in, in a word, amazing. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. It like a lot of the um a lot of the uh, attendees were just the right kind of people that you want to be around, the right kind of writers. Uh everything mm-hmm. everybody was so positive. It was just such a such an incredible experience. And they had like 35% new people attending this year, which is unheard That's cool. of. That's like a third of the people, obviously. There's my math. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you did it. My math at work. Woohoo. But yeah, so I got to meet so many new writers and readers and it was just, it was such a great time. Literally, I had fun from sunrise to sundown and and after. It was great. Good time. I recommend if you're a reader or a writer, if you haven't been, you definitely need to go. There's a new board. Uh, Everything feels very inclusive. It's just a good time. So I I do recommend it. And I certainly hope, Tara, that you go to the next one which is somewhere in the Midwest next year. (laughs) I am absolutely planning on going next year. I had hoped to go this year, but there just ended up being too much family travel and, you know, wallets being what they are. It was uh, a challenge. And I I have to admit, I was also nervous when I heard that it was supposed to be in Florida. So I am relieved that it is no longer going to be in Florida because first of all, not only has... I think it's the HRC that has basically said, hey, right. people, don't, don't go, go to Florida. <laughs> don't but go can to you Florida. Even, like, just Florida in an election year. Nope. Nope. With an actual fascist leading the state. Like, I'm so ready to finally go to my first GCLS, but I'm not ready to die for risk. it. Yeah, exactly. I'm not ready. I'm ready. I'm not ready to risk being shot. So, right. So, exactly. The options for what they're looking at sound interesting. And for what it's worth, I hope it is Minneapolis. Um, I hope so too. That'd be great. So I think next year when we get closer to GCLS, we should do almost like an episode all around what should you do to prep for GCLS? What should a newbie plan to do? But in advance of that, if we want to kind of like get some people thinking, if there's anybody listening that might be planning on going next year, what's like one thing you would want them to think about for the first time? Okay. I definitely recommend signing up for the con newbie program that they have. So basically if it's your first year, they pair you up with a veteran and a lot of the really cool people, uh, I mean, everybody's cool, but a, a lot of the, maybe the writers you've read, you might get paired up with them and they kind of help you adjust to the conference and, you know, maybe introduce you to people that you want to meet and just kind of just make you feel welcomed. And the, there isn't like a single, I, w- I signed up, I have been for two years now. I did not get a person this, this time around. There weren't enough people signed up for it. So I was sad. And last year I had three and I ended up uh, only having one show up because the other two were my friends. <laughs> they didn't know <laughs> I was their person. I should have told them beforehand. Um, so they didn't show up, but I mean, it's, 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 it really helps. It really does. It helps you 
feel like you're a part of something and like nobody feels left out at GCLS. If you see somebody like sitting at a table, like it, it's so, everybody is so inviting, like, Hey, come sit with us. Like, are you a reader? Like, who are you? Like I had talked to so many new people, you know, without even trying, it was just, mm-hmm. it, it was just, it was so good. So I, I definitely recommend signing up for that con newbie program that they have. Yeah. All right. Well, I will sign up for it. Yay. I'm assuming you're going to be my bud, whether you're my, I'm going to make sure. Not. Yeah. So. <laughs> for sure. I'll be like, I don't know you. No, <laughs> I'll uh-huh. be your buddy. Yeah. Uh, so you had a lot of things happen too. You went on vacation. So like yes, vacation. I did. I did a working vacation in my hometown and it was truly, it was one of those, you were I think you were on the road back from GCLS as my family was Mm. boarding a plane to fly (laughs) across the country. Hence why last episode, we re-ran the interview that I did with Ann Bannon four Mm. years ago, which if you haven't listened, I would say, check it out. I still can't believe that I had the opportunity to talk to her for an hour because just like- It's amazing. Yeah, She's she's (laughs) so interesting to talk to and, and- getting to hear kind of that firsthand experience of someone who was publishing lesbian books in the 1950s and 60s was huge. But anyway, sorry, I digressed way too hard on that one. So yes, went to my hometown. You know, I worked about half the time I was there and then didn't work for part of it. And honestly, like it was just, it was great. I got to see Mm. all my favorite cousins, all my favorite aunts and uncles. My oldest kid was horrified when I said something about my favorite cousins. So we did a pool party at one of their, their places. And my kid said, you have favorite cousins, which I think is inconceivable (laughs) because my kids have three cousins in total. And I said, dude, I have like 27 cousins. When you have that many, like you can absolutely have favorites. (laughs) Yeah. Like you just, same thing, aunts and uncles, when you have as many as I do, my mom is like the sixth of seven. My dad is the sixth of six. You get to have favorites. Right. Like, That's just how that is. So it was really great just going and reconnecting with people. I don't really feel like I have many friends left there anymore now that Mm. uh, my best friend from high school lives here in Calgary, which honestly, incredible trade-off. I don't get to hang out with her when I go back, but I do get to hang out with her whenever I want here in Calgary. (laughs) So got to have my favorite pizza three times. I... I don't know if we've talked about this before, but people who grow up in that region love the pizza so much that when we move away, we just bitch about it for the rest of our lives <laughs> about how it's not as good because what it's not it as good. Okay. There are, a few things. Ah. there are a few components to what makes, we call it Windsor pizza because it's like just regional to Windsor, Ontario. The crust is thin, but not a proper thin crust. It's like, it's a, it's a nice thin, but chewy. There's cornmeal on the bottom to make sure it doesn't stick. stick and so there's not, yeah. there's not a lot, but like it just, it's a, it's just a part of the mix. The toppings are, especially the pepperoni is shredded. So you get pepperoni oh. in every single bite. The cheese always goes underneath. So it bubbles up from below. And the mm-hmm. type of cheese they use is so gooey and stringy. And it's like nothing else. It's just... I love it so much. And I got to have it three times in a week. And that made me very happy. <laughs> so um, all that sounds like like some pizzas I can find around here. So I wonder if it's, does Canada not have a lot of pizza places? No, because even, well, 
I mean, we have a lot of the same chains that you do because yeah. we have Domino's, we have right. Little Caesars, we have the other ones that I'm forgetting, Pizza Hut. But then like the Calgary pizza scene is just not great. Mm. Sorry, Calgary. I love you. But like mm-mm. we just despite the fact that its founder is a problematic dickhead, we, our, our family has mostly landed on Papa John's. So oh. it's delicious. And it's what my kids eat. And I'm not going to tell kids now <laughs> about something like that when it's like right. local franchises so yes we had a bunch of pizza my kids got to see fireflies for the first time that we don't blows get them my here. mind we have them here all the time like oh i know God. if summer is officially started when i see my first firefly or lightning bug or whatever you want to call it yeah it well, was and mind. it was like it was <laughs> a magical evening because it was also the evening that one of my aunts and uncles came over and they brought their little westy poo dog charlie oh who is so cute and he had a little red bow tie and oh like gosh i'm pretty sure he thinks he's people and i'm pretty sure he's smarter than some people that i know and so <laughs> there was just this like getting to play with the dog and have a barbecue outside and the fireflies oh. it was just perfect but what the parents really appreciated uh my parents watched the kids so that we could take off to toronto for an overnight so we hopped Yay. on the train and we just had this like perfect magical 24 hours with our friends Amanda and her girlfriend Tanya who for you know long time listeners of the show Amanda recorded a couple episodes with me and Tanya is one of our most loyal listeners <laughs> I know she listens to every episode and she'll tell nice. Amanda which movies and books she needs to check out and so it was great like we rolled up to town they took us out for hot pot which we never had before but was super super delicious at a place if you're in toronto i think it's called happy lamb and it's just incredible and we started know what hot pot is what is hot pot so it's I'm trying to think of how to put it like basically you're given this thing of like like a little pot of broth Okay. And it goes in front of you at the table and there's like burners there and you actually turn it on. And then in the broth, you get to choose what kind of meat do you want to cook in it? What kind of vegetables? Uh, And so it's kind of like, yeah, you're cooking food in broth, but like the broth is so delicious that it makes the food taste so special and wonderful. And then Hmm. you can go and you can make your own little dipping sauces and I'm not good at making my own dipping sauces. That's just, (laughs) that's what I learned. I tried and then I was like, oh, this is, I'm going to push this to the side and I'm going to stick with the broth. (laughs) (laughs) So that was good. And then the next day we just, we headed straight to the, the gay district and that's where we spent most of our time. We actually started because it was kind of like, it's tucked away behind the street, but it was on the way to where we were going. We started with the AIDS Memorial Mm. and it was really beautiful and really moving. And they have a pillar for the, well, they have a series of pillars. I don't think there's, I was trying to think if there was like a particular rhyme or reason to the plaques that went on them. And I'm not actually convinced there was, but anyway, they have plaques. And it just shows like who died from AIDS each year. And it's Mm. up to date to this year. And it starts, I'm trying to remember if it's 1981, it's somewhere in the 81 to 83 range. And I walked it backwards, which is interesting. I could see it being interesting going either way. Cause if you start where it starts, yeah, yeah, like, so my experience was, oh, there's only a couple of people dying of AIDS each year. But it so it shows kind of that the rise and fall because the mm-hmm. names go from like one or two each year for a bunch of years. And then there's like 
five. And then there's like, oh shit, there's 20. And then there's like, they had to change the size of the font on the plaques oh, wow. because so many people were dying in the nineties. But mm. then to see the numbers shrink so dramatically because we have the medication now right. that it's not a death sentence anymore. And it was just this, yeah, it was really moving. It was really beautifully done. And I think it was a great grounding in, hey, we get to hang out in this district and it's totally chill and we're completely safe. And it's, and I don't, I I don't want to take it for granted because we see what's happening kind yeah. of like with the the landscape of of our rights. But I think it was a good reminder that, you know, this is an area in which the progress is so real and it's so good. And so I really loved that. And then we went to Storm Crow Manor, which I th- I'm trying to remember its tagline for itself. But anyway, it's supposed to be like the geekiest bar in the world. And it's so, <laughs> Chris, I think you would love it. It Ooh. is awesome. It's kind of like a, it's like a restaurant pub sort of situation. And, but there's like, there's a Twin Peaks room where yeah. the floor looks like, you know, the room with the red curtains and the black and white mm-hmm. floor. And mm-hmm. okay, so there's one of those. There's like a cyberpunk room. Oh, that is cool. Like a Cthulhu on one wall and there's a beholder on another wall. And like, so each room sort of has its own theme thing going on. And then you can, there's certain, like, I think there's a burger where you can actually roll, you know, like how you roll in Dungeons and Dragons, you can roll to determine the toppings that go on your burger. (laughs) It's also like a set of shots and you roll to determine which shot you're going to receive and you have to drink. Um, So that was super fun. And then we finished up our day with a visit to Glad Day Bookshop which is the, it is currently, it is the world's oldest gay bookstore. It opened in 1970. There was one that was older in New York City, but it closed in 2009. Mm. So since that one closed, um, Glad Day is still going. And honestly, it's lovely. I think their lesbian section could be better and frankly needs to be better. They did have some from Bolt Strokes. They didn't have any of yours. That's bullshit. Kind of bummed about that. But then also I realized, oh, none of the books in that section are current. So I don't know. I think it could be better. But I am thinking about as I want to get physical queer books, mm-hmm. I might just get them to mail, like order and send them to me. Because yeah. like, yes, I live across the country, but I don't have a gay bookstore here in Calgary. So could be either an indie bookstore here, or I think there's something great about supporting the world's oldest gay bookstore. Oh, I agree. I agree. Mm-hmm. For sure. So yeah, it was great. Got to hang yeah. out hang out with some wonderful people see your family again see my family again yeah my heart was pretty full at the end of it and i was extremely ready to sleep in my own bed again so it has been nice (laughs) to be home and getting back into you know all the usual routines but chris Yes. yes What have you been reading or watching? And it's been a while. So I feel like we have some catching up to do on this front. So you would think that I would have a ton of stuff. And honestly, I got kind of bored with stuff because I took the summer off, you know, from writing. I I say that, but I actually got some edits back that are due this week. But I mean, that doesn't count because I'm not writing a new story. So I am working on some edits, but I'm halfway through alone. Like it's, it's one of those, like I've told you before, it's the yeah. half, you know, it's like every week you have to wait for the episode and then you're like, oh, that sucks because we <laughs> were so spoiled. So yeah. halfway through that, I think there are five contestants left. Here's the thing I don't understand. Like they build 
they, you know, it's like, depending on who you are, you either build shelter first or you find food source first. Mm -hmm. And so some of these people have built like the most amazing like forts, like literally like little tiny houses. And I'm just like, that looks amazing. And then they quit. They tap out because they've used all their calories and energy on bill. And that's the, that's the, the the whole thing. You have to Mm -hmm. find the happy medium between the two, like build a shelter for a little bit to, to tide you over until you figure out your food source. Yeah. Uh, But some of these people go in and they build like freaking two story, like log cabins. It's like, it's insane. It's amazing. And then they're like, I'm tapping out. I'm like, yeah why you just built the most amazing place anyway so i'm watching that i just started yesterday i started suits which has been around it's an older uh, oh yeah series yeah i never i never got into i never thought to even get into it and i love it i absolutely love it i'm on like episode three (laughs) season one episode three but i love it i love the concept i think the the characters are great and i laughed because i forgot that what's her name Megan Markle's in it. Yes. I forgot that she's in it. And I just saw her and I just busted out laughing because like totally slipped my mind that she was on there. Yeah. Um, and I have been reading. So Ooh. I did read. I know because you know how I am about reading. I can't yeah. do it. I'm writing and I'm always writing. So I never get the chance to read. So yeah. I did read Erica Lee's A Lesbian Guide to Women. Kind of a light story where basically a woman discovers she's bisexual, but only because her grandmother like kind of forces her into this whole app, this like dating app thing. So she ends up making an agreement with a with a bartender about, hey, can you teach me how to be sex positive with women and enjoy myself and not think about, you know, that this is, I'm trying to figure myself out. And the bartender's like, sure. So it was kind of a cute story. And, and then, so listen to me, you know how I am about audiobooks. Like it yes. is, they, I have to be in a car Yes. I have to be driving for a long, long period of time for me to actually mm-hmm. listen to an audiobook. So I did listen to an audiobook on the way to Denver. Mm-hmm. And it's a long book and it was completely worth my time and money. And it's a book that you recommended last year. Ooh, yeah. tell me more. Okay, so I'm gonna start off by saying that fanfic isn't a thing for me. I mean, we all know this. We've talked about this before. Uh, I understand it. I I know our community is kind of gaga over it, and I get it. You're either like a super fanfic lover, or you just don't understand it. And I'm on the just don't understand it side. Mm-hmm. Um, but I picked up uh, Melina Mackay's "The Delicate Things We Make," mm-hmm. and total shout out to Abby Creighton for nailing this book for sure. I was hooked because of not not only the way it was written. I mean, Melina did a great job of like words. We actually had a conversation about words, about how like books and movies and songs, like it's all about the words. Melina and I mm-hmm. did uh, about words. And so she it really comes through in her books, her writings, that she she appreciates the importance of a single word. And then the narration of it. I mean, it was just Abby Craig did such an incredible oh. job. Ugh. So and it was good. like, yeah, all the different accents and like the seamlessly shifting between the different characters. It was perfect. I mean, I just, I enjoyed it so yeah. much. Well, and so, I think just as a reminder for people, because if they're not familiar with it, it did start as a Devil Wears Prada fan fiction. Right. But like when you go and and buy the delicate things we make, it's really only that the characters sort of came from that world 
none of the story came from that world. Um, It's what's called like an alternate universe because it drops them into something entirely different. But I had no idea. Had I just read this and not known Mm -hmm. that this was loosely based on fanfic that she had written years ago. Yeah. It would have never, I would have never made the connections. No, it's so, it's so brilliantly written. Yes, it really is. It was a really, I think it, it was one of the more prominent examples of like lesfic's contributions to the Me Too conversation. Yes, for sure. For sure. Oh, I'm glad you loved it. Yeah, it had layers and layers. I absolutely loved it. I, I, I was shocked that it was her first book. Like, okay. Important question. Oh, yes. yes. What did you think of that haircut? <laughs> That's right. That's right. You were talking about haircut mm-hmm. being sexy. <laughs> yes, I was. <laughs> Uh, it's very good very good yeah that's yeah, hilarious I just you it just it didn't even dawn on me that you we had talked about this before until just now oh yeah I was just in my car like in a trance just listening to it getting back mm-hmm. to it you know parking and then wanting to get back to it or waiting until a good yeah. time to shut off the car to get gas so it was it, it definitely kept my interest and I really enjoyed it yay yay I'm glad you did yeah what about you what have you been reading or watching okay so as always drag race update all stars season eight is over Ah. i was so ready for it to be over and also (laughs) i was talking to neil about this recently but i figured out why i've been so lukewarm on this season and then do you remember how i was so lukewarm on the last main season as well when sasha colby won Mm -hmm. and i think it's because the show is boring when it is obvious who is going to win. Uh, Um, This will go up a week and a half after the winner was announced. So sorry if it's a spoiler, but like it's been all over the internet. Jimbo won. Very exciting. That's the first Canadian queen to win on like the US stage. And I mean, to be fair, Jimbo was amazing, but like won four of the main challenges in the season. And so there's a certain point where you're like, okay, so there's no stakes. Okay. So next season of Drag Race Australia is starting soon. Mm. So that is the one I will be watching. But there's like new franchises popping up all over the place. Even oh, wow. still, like there's Mexico now. There's more European ones. I'm not keeping up with any of the ones like that. Mostly just because I don't have that much time to watch TV. <laughs> you gotta <laughs> pick a few. But. We have been watching a show that I think you might like because Ooh. of how much you love music history. Yes. It is called Mike Judge Presents Tales from the Tour Bus. And oh, cool. Yeah. I can't remember how we found out about it, but it has been so good. It's animated. And each episode or two-part episode is about a performer. So the first season is about country music. And I think focus is a little more on the outlaw movement within country. And then the second season is about funk. And so like the episode about Johnny Paycheck was so good. He's the guy that did the song, Take This Job and Shove It. Oh, and, like, yeah. There were times where it's like, oh, this is hilarious. This is so great. And then like, I was literally crying at the end of the episode. Mm. It's just like the storytelling is so good and so masterful. There's one, there's two episodes about Waylon Jennings. There's one uh, two about Tammy Wynette and George Jones. And then when you get into funk, like there's one about George Clinton, there's two about James Brown. There's like, it's just, 
it's really, really great storytelling if you're interested kind of in the history of some of these people. I've been watching Hack My Home on Netflix, which is what I would lovingly describe stealing the phrase from my one of my uh, old work friends. It's a it's like a perfect treadmill show. It's like one of those perfect <laughs> shows you can just put on and walk or jog on the treadmill and you don't have to think too much about it, but it's like really delightful. And it's these four people that go into a home that has like the space is not being used well. It's super problematic. And they figure out ways to use the space most efficiently. And so they call all of those things hacks. And there are some really cool ones like, oh, we're going to build an island in this kitchen. And actually from there, you can pull out a dining table. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, oh, cool. Yeah, I get it now. That makes sense. Yeah, it's really cool. So the second episode, actually the one with with the telescoping table, is a lesbian couple they are so cute but Mm. they are both chefs and they have the worst kitchen and (laughs) (laughs) so they like this squad totally rethinks that that floor so if you like those like super low stakes really chill reality shows that is a great one also with our friends amanda and tanya we started in toronto we started watching siren have you seen it it's on netflix i forget what the subtitle is but it's a Korean reality show. Do you remember Physical 100? Uh-huh, uh-huh. So sort of roughly in that vein, but a totally different structure. And so it's six groups of women on this island and they have, they're teamed based on their profession. So there's like military, police, mm. uh, bodyguards, stunt professionals, and firefighters and athletes. That's seven. Oh, wow. Seven. Okay. Apparently there's 17. <laughs> um, I have not seen it. Oh, that's, un- that's. And they have to like basically fight for dominance of the island. And they're such badasses. Like yeah. it's, I'm not going to get into it a lot more than that, but like, if you want to see women being total badasses, this is a great show for that. <laughs> and then there's a couple of books nonfiction. So, you know, I have to listen to them because my brain cannot read nonfiction with my eyeballs unless I'm willing to take two years to read a book. Right. <laughs> um, okay. Um, so the first one is called the persuaders by a non Jiridaradas who he also wrote an incredible book that came out in 2018 called winners take all, which like the TLDR on that book is we need to stop expecting billionaires and companies to save us from right. all of the world's problems because solving the world's problems would close the loopholes that would allow them to amass as much wealth as they do. So everyone's just proposing band-aid solutions. It's a very interesting book. It will fucking bum you out, but it is. And it's worth, I mean, given the type of company I'd been working at, it was very eye-opening because I worked at a company that provided software that software that helped companies with their like philanthropy programs, which I think is important, but also Mm. it was important to keep in mind this his perspective too. So this one is called The Persuaders and the subtitle is At the Front Lines of the Fight for Hearts, Minds, and Democracy. All I knew about it going into it was, oh, hey, he's got a new book. I thought the way he wrote his other book was incredible. Let's check it out. (laughs) And I'm not going to do any justice to it by trying to describe it. So I'm going to do something that I try never to do on the show. And that's, I'm going to read the blurb. Cause it kind of oh. says every, it's mm-hmm. like the most accurate blurb I've ever actually seen of a book ever possibly. <laughs> um, so 
The lifeblood of any free society is persuasion, changing other people's minds in order to change things. But America is suffering a crisis of faith and persuasion that is putting its democracy and the planet itself at risk. Americans increasingly write one another off instead of seeking to win one another over. Debates are framed in moralistic terms with enemies battling the righteous. Movements for justice build barriers to entry instead of on-ramps. Political parties focus on mobilizing the faithful rather than wooing the skeptical. And leaders who seek to forge coalitions are labeled sellouts. In this book, we're taken inside these movements and battles seeking out the dissenters who continue to champion persuasion in an age of polarization. We meet a leader of Black Lives Matter, a trailblazer in the feminist resistance to Trumpism, white parents at a seminar on adopting children of color, Bernie Sanders, and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a team of door knockers with an uncanny formula for changing minds on immigration, an ex-cult member turned QAnon deprogrammer, and hovering menacingly offstage, Russian operatives clandestinely stoking Americans' fatalism about one another. As the book's subjects grapple with how to call out threats and injustices while calling in those who don't agree with them but just might one day, they point a way to healing and changing a a fracturing country. Wow, that does sound amazing though. It is amazing. And I have to admit, it really challenged a lot of what I had been thinking because it is so tempting to write someone off when they say a thing that you don't agree with. But it's also important to keep in mind that like, when you look at a lot of like Russian disinformation activities, and he gives examples of this in the book, it truly is like trying to split people's opinions mm-hmm. and trying to pit people against each other. And one of the people he talks to has this, she breaks it down saying that like, this is what happens when you're talking to somebody that has, or what can happen or how you can approach talking to people who have 90% of the same beliefs as you, 75% of the same beliefs, 50, mm. 25, and then down to like nothing. And the part that struck me the most was that it's actually often when people who have 90% in common they'll cut someone out because of that last 10% and say, I don't want you as a part of my movement because of that. When actually they have so much more in common, they can get so much good done. And that's something I've been thinking about Hmm. and kind of chewing on as I keep going. So it's a really excellent book. It you know, some of these people share their own like actual concrete strategies for how they actually are talking to people, how they're meeting with them and trying to help kind of change hearts and minds because it actually is democracy that's at stake. So if you're up for, and I don't think it's a particularly heavy book either. Like it sounds like it would be super, super heavy, Mm -hmm. but I find it's very digestible like quite easy to take in. It's really excellent. And then uh, the last thing is I finally, finally finished reading 10 Steps to Nanette by Hannah Gadsby. I recommended Hannah Gadsby's, all of their shows, uh, or at least all of their Netflix Mm -hmm. shows uh, at some point. But 10 Steps to Nanette is an autobiographic, well, it's an autobiography that basically takes from Hannah Gadsby's childhood to the point of doing Nanette and delivering it and the reception and the, what came out of it. I had borrowed the audiobook from the library and I think I sort of stalled out about halfway through, but it came mm. through again. And honestly, I think for me, it's the second half that I most appreciated. That's where we get into how they were diagnosed with ADHD first, autism later. Um, wow. And what's that meant? 
as well as like some, you know, other things that happen along the way. But for me, hearing about the construction of that show, because it's a real, like, it's so brilliant and it's so mm. finely tuned and hearing what went into that was, I quite liked it. So I think if you love autobiographies, that's a great one to pick up. But if you don't, maybe that's not going to be your jam. Like maybe that's not going to be the book for you, which is the main reason why it's not an official recommendation. But speaking of official recommendations, Chris Bryant, what yes. is yours? Okay. So this week, my official recommendation is the movie Carol from 2015. Oh. So there was a discussion on a on my Patreon interview with uh, Melina Mackay about the movie and its significance. So I decided to watch it again because I said when it came out it was a very boring it was a very slow movie and fucking everybody came at me so i'm oh, like yeah. okay i'll be fair i'll watch it again it was so funny because melina's like look like it's so important for a community and you need to give it a second chance and and i was like you're right you know it's it came out in 2015 that's when i saw it so mm-hmm. a lot has happened in my life since then. A lot has happened in the queer world and definitely in the cinema. Because mm-hmm. my, my argument was, well, we had Brokeback Mountain, you know, and that won some awards. And she's like, well, that's not lesbians. That's not bisexuals. So, well, it's sort of bisexuals. So, I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. So anyway, um, I watched it again. I watched it last night uh, because I... I was going back and forth on what I was going to officially recommend and just decided given the the recent talking and scolding about this movie, I should probably give it a second chance. So I went with Carol. So like being queer in the 50s was pretty much silent suffering. You know, yeah, the relationships existed, but it was dangerous to be out. And I don't care what my editor says because we go back and forth about that all the time. So first of all, the first thing I realized when, when, I, when I turned the movie on was I forgot how commanding Kate Blanchett is on screen. I like totally oh, forgot yes. that whole aspect. I mean, how confident and regal she is. And, you know, and, and I forgot the whole cast. Like I forgot that Sarah Paulson's in there and I forgot that Kyle Chandler is her husband. And it was just a really remarkable cast. So I get the whole, it's the first sapphic or women loving women movie that was mainstream that had like an incredible cast. You know, it brought a lot of attention to, you know, our lifestyle, the queer lifestyle. So it's a quick background. So the Carol, of course, is the main character. Her name is Carol Aird. And she's this like wealthy, like really high society type, very confident woman, beautiful and Therese is, she works at a massive department store in, in the toy counter, like one of the toy counters. And she sees Carol from across the room and can't take her eyes off of her. And like the adoration is just, I just, I love that whole, like she just stares at her and, and you can just see her world taking this giant shift as she stares at her, you know, and she doesn't like back away or, or stop staring. Like she, the thing mm-hmm. I love about uh, Therese is that like, she's okay with who she is. You know, she's learning about herself. She's open up to, to anything about herself. You know, this is her journey and she's, she's not embarrassed by the way she feels. She's very quietly confident. Unlike Carol, who is very outwardly, you know, confident, comfortable, but a lot of times it's kind of like, that's, that's kind of a facade in the whole movie, Mm -hmm. you know, because she's dealing with so much shit in her life. 
that she has to maintain this this like profile. So, you know, it's kind of a, um, you know, you see Carol, she's how it starts is she's actually separated from her husband and there's this custody battle. I say custody battle. The only thing that they haven't agreed upon is they actually, her and her husband did agree on child custody. Like, like Mm -hmm. they had it figured out, but then he got mad because he saw that she was interested that his wife, Carol is interested in another woman. And this was a problem before because she had an affair with her BFF since she was 10, but she had an affair, a fling. It was like a summer fling with Sarah Paulson and it didn't work out, but they're still best friends. Like, I mean, Mm -hmm. hello, that's like the whole entire lesbian community. Yeah, Um, (laughs) right. So Carol's like, well, I'm just going to go ahead and live my life and we're going to separate and you get this and I get this and this is how we're going to do the kid. And, uh, and he gets mad and he's, he decides to like, just do some pretty shady things that we of course would do today, you know, and it just made Carol's life so uncomfortable. So she has to put her relationship with Therese on hold and, you know, it's, it's a kind of a happy ending story. And, you know, that didn't happen back in the fifties, at least they didn't portray it that way in books and movies. And so I get the whole concept of it was nice to have something positive. For me, why I thought this was so incredible, not, I love, first of all, I love the chemistry. You know how I am about chemistry and the chemistry was there up until they slept together and everybody's going to hate me for that. Like they slept together. I know, I know. And then it was okay. Like after it happened, see, I'm all about the chase. Like once you, you know, the chase is like just amazing. That part is so, I love that part. And then like. They had sex and then it was just kind of like, eh. And yeah. then like, then there was a gap and then the chemistry came back at the very end. Mm-hmm. So, so that was cool. But the thing I loved about this was I loved the actual words. And, you know, we talked about this earlier, mm-hmm. like words are my life. Yes. And like when Therese, she's talking to her boyfriend, who's desperate to marry her. It's like, let's get married and go to France. And she's like, eh, you know, she's hawing and hemming about it. She doesn't really want to. Because she doesn't know who she is and she's still figuring this out. She's a much younger person than Carol is. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the, you know, the, it's like the age gap, financial gap. There's a lot going on there. A lot of tropes in this. So if you like tropes, definitely watch this movie. But I love the words. And her boyfriend's like, you know, you have a schoolgirl crush on Carol and you're like, you're in a trance. And she's like, I've never been more awake in my life. You know, and I just love that line. And she, mm. like, that is who she is throughout the movie. And everybody thinks she's like this real submissive, like, person. And she's not. Like, she's just super quiet about it. Like, she knows who she is. She's learning things. You know, she's figuring things out. She doesn't believe that you, she believes that you can fall in love with the same sex. She, she's like, I don't understand why, why this wouldn't happen. So, like, she and her boyfriend at the time, they're having this discussion about it. And she asks him, Have you ever been in love with a boy? And he's like, Oh my God, no, that's gay. Ooh, you know, I would never do that. And she's like, Why not? I mean, you fall in love with the person, right? And so she, she, she knows, like, she is on the right path and she understands it. And that's, that's why I love this movie so much is because it doesn't show somebody who's like completely submissive and scared and like, oh my God, what if, what if I am this kind of person? What if I am queer? That's not there at all. And I love that for that reason. Like I am more of a Therese fan than I am a Carol fan. I know. Come at me. Come at me, everybody. Like for sure. So 
yeah so basically you know it's funny because there's the one bad trope there's a lot of tropes mm-hmm. in this movie so <laughs> definitely we do like our tropes <laughs> that's true so the dialogue for sure is i have not read the book so i don't know if the dialogue mm-hmm. is copied from the book because sometimes you know there's certain yeah words and phrases that are in a book that you definitely want to put in the movie so i have not read the book mm-hmm. but uh, i did see the movie and i found a lot of the dialogue to be just perfect i loved it that's super interesting so i haven't i haven't seen the film yet and i haven't read the price of salt either but what i thought was really interesting was some of the dialogue around it because i think there are some people who kind of just like embraced it wholeheartedly and just Mm -hmm. loved it i think what you were saying like it was the first really significant celebrated film that really centers uh, a sapphic relationship in a way that's like mostly positive and Again, like not to like boost an episode we recently posted, but if you do want to get a bit more of a sense of what it was like at that time, Anne Bannon talks about that. And we saw a bit of it in A League of Their Own when, you know, the the house mistress had to pay money to keep Joe's name out of the papers because she was arrested in a bar raid like that was a real thing there was the the three pieces of clothing rule which was like technically not a rule on any actual law books but if you weren't wearing three pieces of clothing that aligned with your your gender you were assigned to birth like you could be arrested and it was a problem and i think it's interesting how the concept of happy endings works here because it it was definitely a positive ending in that they got to be together in the end because that was not common. Like I'm right. trying to remember, I think it was the Comstock law was the one that said that like books couldn't be shipped across state lines right. if mm-hmm. there was a happy ending. And so like lesbian pulps were huge, like they were absolutely booming and people were buying them. But that's how you end up with so many that you know, they don't end up together as a couple or one of them dies or one of them ends up in an asylum. And that's something that Anna and I talk about is like her book, Odd Girl Out, technically doesn't have a happy ending because they're not together at the end, which again, I'm comfortable saying the ending of a book that was published in 1957. (laughs) Spoiler alert. (laughs) Um, But I saw it as really positive because at the end of the book, you know, we see the main character whose name currently escapes me is going to New York to live her life authentically. And I thought that, you know, that was incredible. But in this case, and the thing that really sort of brought it to my consciousness, I couldn't find the article, but I saw something on Autostraddle where it was someone talking about how it was actually a really difficult film for her to watch because, you know, even so many decades later, she had to go through something kind of similarly of like, she wasn't sure if she was going to be able to keep her kid Because of her queerness, because, you know, she had had a male partner who was trying to use that to take custody away. And I get that, like, yes, Kate Blanchett, amazing. We finally get to see her do something sapphic, and that's great. But I think that was missing from some of the discourse at the time. And when we think, like, okay, so her character got to walk away Right. And still have wealth and still have things right. but if we look at, like the majority of women in the mm-hmm. 1950s and 60s. They were tra- there was no, no fault. Divorce didn't exist. They couldn't open up bank accounts. They couldn't get credit cards. In some cases, they couldn't get jobs unless they had their husband's permission. So like 
it wasn't okay. It wasn't necessarily possible for a lot of queer women to just leave because they would lose right. their kids. They would have no way to support lose themselves. Everything. Right. Right. Yeah. So. Like, and honestly, I question like Therese had a really nice, I say really nice. She had a, she had a, her own apartment in New York. And I'm like, how did she, like, I, I stress about money. Like yeah. that is my thing. Like I need to know where my characters have money and, and how they support themselves. And it has to be believable. And it's funny because my editor's like, you're just hung, hung up on money all the time. That's like, because I need it to be believable. And we know that, mm-hmm. it, that it's a struggle, like everyday life being a single, you know, woman, single lesbian, whatever is hard. And yes. I need to know where the money's coming from. Like how yes. do you afford an apartment in New York? Like, yes. even though it was this, you know, fifties, even though it was the fifties, like, how did you afford it? What mm-hmm. job? She worked at a department store at a counter, a toy counter. Like you yeah. can't tell me that shit brought in a ton of money. Cause if that's no. the case, I'm quitting and I'm going to go <laughs> to New York <laughs> and, and sell some dolls and yeah. uh, have a really nice apartment in New York. And like mm-hmm. the whole time I'm like judging this, like this, this apartment is huge. And I was like, how does she afford it? Like that is in yeah. the back of my head, especially in the fifties as a single woman, like, how is this possible? You know, that's and right. so I don't know where her money comes from, you know, and that's, that's a big thing. If you, ha- and that's, that's how it always is. If you have money, you have more freedoms than the average yes. person does. And, and so this was kind of a best case scenario all the way around type story. Mm-hmm. Whereas like everybody else, you'd have to walk away from everything. Like you'd have to be willing to, to lose your family, to lose your money, to lose yourself, just to have, just to live your authentic self. You'd have to lose everything else to, to, Mm -hmm. to do this. And that's, I can't imagine. I know. I think, and I usually only do this in the newsletter. I don't usually do this um, on the podcast, but I'm too excited to not. I think if people (laughs) want a couple of other books to read almost as like a follow-up to this, Letters Never Sent by Sandra yes. Moran would be a really great, interesting one where this woman kind of learns via a bunch of letters she finds after her mom dies that her mom had this incredibly rich relationship with another woman kind of decades prior. Mm-hmm. And then I also think it's much more about the Butch experience in the 1950s, but The Swashbuckler by Lee Lynch, I think it was first published in the 1980s. And it's just so good. And it's so incredible. And if you kind of want to see that, you know, behind the get into the perspective of somebody who has to like squish themselves and contort themselves most of the week, and they can only let themselves really live authentically, sort of on the weekend in those Mm -hmm. evenings and finding those space. It's just such a beautifully written book and really incredible, important butch representation, which is different from from Carol, but yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Tara, what is your official recommendation this week? So this week I am recommending the autobiographical novel Fun Home by Alison Bechdel. Hmm. Does that, that name should probably be. The the name for sure means something. Okay, good. Yeah. Yeah. So um, Alison Bechdel wrote the comic Dykes to Watch Out For. And this was her graphic novel that was released in 2006. It was named Time Magazine's number one book of the year. It was a finalist for the National Book Critics Circle Award. 
Um, it was a double finalist for the Lambda Book Award. It won the Stonewall mm. Book of the Year. It was nominated for a Glad Media Award. Wow. So, like it was a big deal in 2006. And I didn't know anything about it at the time because I still <laughs> thought I was straight and I wasn't right. reading any queer books. <laughs> um, so this is actually a book that I picked up at Glad Day in Toronto because I thought, oh, here it is. I've been wanting to read it for a long time. I read the whole thing on the train on the way back to where the rest of my family was. And it was like, it was so gripping. It was so difficult to put down. And mm. I've been meaning to read it forever. And I'm so glad that I finally did. One of the things to know about this is that the subtitle is a family tragicomic. And oh, wow. I don't think that's overstating it at all. Mm. So it really gets into Bechtel's childhood and her adolescence. And her dad looms as the story's largest character. He was an English teacher in their small town in Pennsylvania, but he also ran their family's funeral home. So he had actually been in the military and stationed there in Germany. Yay! Uh, hey, um, done that. <laughs> right? And he was married to her mom at the time. And so they were like hanging out in Germany. Her mom was pregnant with her. And he got news that his dad had had a heart attack. And so he needed to come home and take over the family funeral mm -hmm. home. And so fun home is kind of like the shortened version of funeral home. That's how they would, that's how oh, they talk about it. All okay. right, got to go to the fun home for whatever. Wow, okay. And so we see a lot about her, like I said, we see a lot about her childhood. And the big focus is really her dad because he was such a large, um, and it sounded like quite difficult personality. And there's a lot about how he was redecorating their home because they got this old, it was a very, very old house that had kind of fallen into disrepair. And he was like very carefully decorating it to the point where it looks almost like a dollhouse. Oh. And you see in a lot of that, that like he just has such an extreme vision. It seems like he was, he was a man of extremes probably. Um, he didn't want input from the family. He didn't care what they thought. She hated the way he decorated her room. He did not care because, again, it's he is decorating, almost like he is decorating his his dollhouse. And then when she's in college, she comes out to her parents. Um, but then only three weeks later, her dad is dead. Mm. And she tries to piece together what happened. Did he die by suicide? Was it an accident? And I can't re remember if it was before or after he died, but she also found out that he was not straight either, mm. that he, you know, had been with quite a lot of men. And that's also where we kind of need to put down a bit of a content warning, um, because like I said, one of the themes is her dad had like so many affairs with men, but there's kind of a sub theme there around how it wasn't always men. It was sometimes teenage boys and it could have been their babysitter. It could be students. It could be the young guys that he got to help with the yard work and how that was quite a big wow. problem. And honestly, like it's so, I don't even, I'm not even sure I fully figured out how to articulate my feelings on this book. And I read it a couple of weeks ago. And I think it's one that I'm going to have to come back to, which I kind of, mm. I love the idea that like, I feel like I've only just skimmed the surface. There's so much there. There are so many literary illusions oh. in this. 
I have two degrees in English, right? Like I actually have a master's degree in English literature. And there were times where I felt like I wasn't smart enough or well-read enough <laughs> to understand everything that was going on. There's a lot to do with mythology because she's also like, she's comparing them in certain ways to certain characters that have shown up in other places. And so kind of the first that we see is she's comparing them to the Icarus Daedalus story from Greek mythology, which is, you know, Icarus, uh, you know, Daedalus made those wings out of wax. And when Icarus flew too close to the sun, it didn't work out. Um, The Odyssey comes up later on, which also it went from the the Odyssey to talking about James Joyce's book, Ulysses, which I was like, oh, no, I definitely haven't read Ulysses. But this is the first time. (laughs) I think there's lots of people who haven't. But it was the first thing that made me think, huh, maybe I should try to read Ulysses, which is famously like one of the most impenetrable book, impenetrable books in English literature. I actually remember when I was an undergrad, I had a professor who he was focused on the modernists. So Joyce was definitely one of them. And mm-hmm. he would do a graduate level class on Ulysses and they would read nothing but that for the whole semester. Wow. And mm-hmm. then they would do their papers on that and whatever I, I didn't I didn't take that class because I didn't do my graduate degree there. I did it somewhere else. But I remember him saying to us in a in a different class something about you can read it now. I teach a class on it now, but I actually think you should wait until you're middle aged. I don't think you have enough life experience for oh, this book. Yeah. Guess who's middle aged now? <laughs> <laughs> I might have enough life experience, but like I actually went and bought copies of the odyssey and ulysses so that i can read them and then come back to fun home oh wow again and read them with that lens so i feel like any book that makes somebody want to read (laughs) that fucking doorstop of (laughs) of the canon (laughs) there has to be something there and it's so hard to pick like favorite things about this book because there's so much to it. I think, you know, the art style is great and most of it is much more of a cartooning style. And then on every, uh, the beginning of every chapter, there's a drawing of uh, some other, like it's, it's a, it's a more, I don't know how to put it. If it's like more finely drawn, more detailed, some of them looks like a Polaroid. I'm going to hold this up. Sorry, people, you're not gonna be able to see it, but Chris will. So, you know, something like this. Uh So there's much more detail to it. And there's some really arresting images in this that like I would actually stop reading so that I could just like look at the detail and how it was drawn and what she was evoking. And I think, you know, even seeing how she shows OCD was the thing that she struggled with for a while in her adolescence and gets into that and shows what that looks like and how it shows up in her diary. But I think the thing that stands out the most to me, which I, of course, he was the most prominent, is this like examination of their relationship of where they are same and where they are different and how difficult it is, but also that longing for better that, you know, he was a really, he had a guy with a lot of nuances to him. He, there were a lot of things that were difficult and it's kind of that, like, what do we do with those problematic parental relationships where there's still a longing there, there's still a missing something. And then in, in her case, this added level of, well, how did he die? 
Was right. it on purpose or was it an accident? Was it because of some of these things she was discovering? Why was it so close to her coming out to her family and just seeing like the grappling with that and how how it comes out? And yeah, honestly, like it's just I found it a beautiful, fascinating, unput downable experience. Like it's wow. to me, like it's much, it wasn't like, I didn't just read a book. I had an experience. Wow. Okay. And so I think if anybody listening, if you're in the place for something that can just kind of like challenge you somewhat, it is well worth it. I think the difficult material is handled in a way that's like, it goes there, but it's, it's delicate. It goes a fine line. It it doesn't, it doesn't feel um, over the top. It doesn't feel like it's trying to hide any of her dad's problems, but I think there's real care in the storytelling. So people need to sort of deal with their own comfort levels, what they're able to engage with and what they're not. But I think this is a really, really worthwhile one for people who are ready and able to try. So yeah, that is Fun Home by Alison Bechtel. It is not new to the world, but it was new to me and I loved it very, very much. Nice. That is all for this episode. Thank you so much for joining and listening. If you've enjoyed the show and you haven't subscribed yet, please make sure you do wherever you listen to podcasts. You'll get notified when we release the episode. If you have a friend that you think would like the show, please tell them about it. If you'd like to support us, of course, we still have links in our notes to the coffee and the newsletter sign up. And like I said, newsletters now come with lists of book recommendations. Ooh, so if you haven't yay. signed up, I don't know how else we can entice you. Or if you want to connect with us on your favorite social media sites, we have links in the show notes for that as well. Or you can search for Clearly Recommended on Instagram, Facebook, Tumblr, TikTok, and Twitter. Or email us at podcast at queerlyrecommended.com. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. Okay, hang on. Yeah, Molly's, okay. Molly's barking now. Shit. Hey, you're gonna sit with me. Hey, hey, no. Molly's in trouble. This reminds me of all those times where one of the kids is busted in, and I've had to go tell them off. And then Chris is sitting here talking to herself or singing to herself about how that kid's in trouble. I think this should go in as uh, at the end of the episode. So it could be a nice little surprise for Chris when she listens back to this later.